I want to take just a moment. This is not part of the message. I got, matter of fact, I got three messages this morning. Y'all got time for that? Got play practice? Romans 13. Do you ain't got to turn there? I'm just going to read it to you. Romans 13, verse 1 through um, about 4 reads this way. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by who? So in other words, no matter whether they are saved, unsaved, Christian, non-Christian, God puts them in that place, right? Yeah. He says in verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. And here's the key verse, verse 4. For he is God's minister to you for good. He's God's what? He's God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. I want to recognize Brother Andy Griggs this morning. Stand up, Andy. Andy graduated the police academy Friday, uh, Friday and he is your new uh, Pulaski police officer. Amen. He was gone for he was gone for ten weeks, and I'm telling you, it was a rough ten weeks for him and his family. His boys missed him like crazy. I know his wife missed him some, but his boys really missed him. And uh, and the only thing I need from you, Andy, is a schedule when you're going to work. That way, I know when I get pulled over, I can give you a call. That's all I need from you. But uh, I am I'm so proud of Andy, and I'm tickled that he has an understanding of what his job is. You know, there are many in law enforcement today that really don't know that they are God's ministers. They don't realize that. Andy recognizes that he is God's minister. And in law enforcement, he is there for a purpose and a reason. And he does not bear the gun in vain. I believe that's what the sword is today. He don't bear it in vain. And I believe that, that he's going to do a wonderful job. And I'm just so tickled when I see a good Christian man. Uh, there are other Christian men on, on, the, on the law enforcement, but I'm just so tickled when I see a Christian man like Andy being able to step up into this position and ministering to God in this place. So, Andy, I'm proud of you, and I know your family's proud of you too. And then, uh, if you would, I'm going to do another little, little mini-message real quick. I ain't got to start on mine, but look at Second Chronicles. Chapter 6, verse 18. I thought about this. This stirred up in me while we were singing Silent Night and O Come All Ye Faithful. And while we were singing Silent Night, one of the verses in Silent Night was um, Silent Night, Holy Night. Shepherds quake at thy sight. Radiant beams from thy holy face or something like that. But anyway, I started thinking about what that night must have been like. When the shepherds and the, and the wise men, I don't believe the wise men actually came the night he was born, but when the shepherds came the night that he was born and they laid their eyes on this child, knowing who he was, as a child of God, that should amaze you. If you have any knowledge of who God is, this should amaze you. Listen to what Solomon said whenever he built the temple and God was going to dwell in, in the physical temple. Now, we are the temple today, right? 
God dwells inside of us. Imagine if Solomon had have, had have uh, heard this. But Solomon heard that he was going to build a temple for God to dwell in. Just a building. Not in Solomon, just, just a building. And Solomon asked the question, But will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? This amazed Solomon. Solomon said, how can it be that the presence of God will dwell in a building on earth? Will God, the, the one who said, let there be, and, and there was. <laughs> he, just, he just said, let there be water. And you know what happened? Water came out of nothing. He said, let there be light. And you know what happened? Light came out of nothing. He, he just said, let there be, and it was. Will this God indeed dwell with men on earth? And then look what the statement Solomon made next. Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. Can you imagine walking in the stable on that night and looking at a little baby and you feast your eyes on this child? How much more amazed should we be than Solomon to look at this child and say will God indeed dwell with men sinful creatures on earth and then he said behold the heaven the heavens and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you how in the world is he in this little child how is this possible and then that is the gift that he gave to us how much less this child which he has built. That may not mean nothing to you this morning, but it amazes me to think that God came in the form of man. The heavens and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. <laughs> and yet he came in a baby. That's amazing. Luke chapter 2, I'm getting my message this morning. This is number 3. And while you're turning to Luke chapter 2, you can stand if you'd like. We're going to read verses 1 through um, we're going to read verses 1 through 20. While you're turning, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. Y'all are an amazing group of people. We ask so much of you and you never look back, you never think twice, you never you never complain, you just step up and do. This month has been so full of so many things. Give to this, give to that, give to this, give to that. And never once did you check up. You saw a place where you could minister and you jumped in and ministered. And I'm going to tell you, I, I just want to say thank you. I want to say that, that I know that, that, that you are godly people and I'm so thankful to serve with a group of people like you. I love you with all my heart. Uh, I, I want you to know that uh, we, the, I just asked the deacons, the help center's doing the same thing we did on Thanksgiving. They're going to try to feed over 300-something families for, for Christmas. I didn't come to you and ask you for that. I'm going to, I'll give you a break. I said, you know what? We've done, we've done ask and ask and ask, and I backed off. I called some of the deacons, and I said, listen, I believe this is time for the church to step up. The church stepped up and they, they are going to supply the, the help center. That's the same thing we did for Thanksgiving from the church. They're going to take care of it so the families are still going to be fed. It ain't something that, you, that you've got to worry about. Um, I thank you because I know that if I had of you to stepped up again, I know that. But I, I just want to say thank you for all that you do. And I pray that God continues to bless you so that you can continue to do. And I pray that you keep having a mind to want to see places to where you can serve him. 
Let's read Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now this census first took place while Quirinus, I believe that's how you say that, I don't know, was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now they were in the same country, all right? So in the same country, in Bethlehem, there were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Wouldn't you be? The glory of the Lord has shone all around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And look, Peace is on earth, and goodwill is toward men. Keep reading with me. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us, what's the next word? Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. You may be seated. Mr. Rutherford, would you lead us in a word of prayer, please? Amen. There are two accounts of the birth of Christ in the Bible. One of them is in Matthew, one of them is in Luke. And these accounts tell the same story as far as his birth is concerned, but they focus on two different events. 
The one in Matthew focuses on an event that I believe, if you were to really study it and research it, I believe shows us was a little bit after he was born. I believe the wise men followed a star from what we what it was many, many miles away from the east. And they kept following that star. And they came in to find the Lord Jesus Christ. I started thinking about the two groups of people that God saw fit to make known that his son was here. And I started to, to ask myself the question, out of all the people, out of all the people in the world, high priest, rulers, kings, out of all the people for him to make known that he is in the house, he chose two groups that we know of. And I asked myself the question, what was it about these two groups? What was it about these two groups that out of the, the high priest, the, the Pharisees, the Jews, the ones who had been promised the child, the ones who had been waiting on them, out of all of these people, why reveal this message to these two groups, to wise men and to shepherds? So first, I want to look at how these groups are different. And I want to see if it's something about their difference that made them more worthy, I guess you could say, of hearing the word that God is in the house. First difference. First group we've got, I'm going to talk about the shepherds. All right, the shepherds here, if you'll notice in verse 8, there were in the same country shepherds, and what were they doing in the fields? They were keeping the flock, but the word I'm looking for was living. Living in the fields. So first thing I see here is we've got shepherds. They don't, they're not living in houses. They don't have roofs over their head. They're probably dwelling in caves or whatever they can find out there. They are living in the fields with their flock. So I started going back and doing some research about shepherds. I wanted to know a little bit more about them. I found so much stuff on shepherds from old historical um, writings, from early Christian writings, uh, Ignatius and um, uh, so, so many different writings that I read. And some of the things I found were this right here. First off, as Jesus was coming into the scene, shepherds had become to not be looked at very nicely like they used to at one time. They had become despised during this time of life. They were, number one, it was not an occupation that the people wanted their children to get into anymore. It was not something that they recommended, so there were very few out there at this time. They, were, they actually lived in the fields because they didn't take shifts anymore. There were so few of them that, that they, they basically had to stay out there with the sheep. That was their livelihood. That's what they did. They were dirty. They stunk. They were free grazers, so they were free grazing through other people's properties and places, and because of that, many people looked at them as thieves. They accused them of, of, of being thieves. Basically, every shepherd in that time, when you were a shepherd, you was a thief. That's just basically what you were. They, uh, their honesty and integrity, and this was pretty neat. I, didn't, I, I found this in one of the writings. Their honesty and integrity was so questionable that they were not even allowed to testify in the courts. 
They, they so did not trust these shepherds that if they saw and witnessed a terrible crime, they would not be trusted to sit on the stand and give testimony for it, no matter who they were, just because of the fact they're a shepherd. And if they're a shepherd, they are not reliable. They cannot be trusted. They were a social outcast. And from what I read, the only people who were more outcast than shepherds during this time were lepers. Lepers were not allowed in the city, in the camp. Lepers were cast outside of the camp until their leprosy was removed or until the priests had declared them clean and then they could come back among the people. They could not come near anyone, touch anyone. There was no one more outcast than a leper until you got to the shepherd and the shepherd was the next in line as far as being outcast. So I started thinking, dirty, sinful, stinking, social outcast, not respected in any way or form. That's what you have in shepherds. Now let's look at the wise men. The Greek word from which we get wise men that I looked up is called uh, magos, if I'm pronouncing that right, M-A-G-O-S. And this can be translated one of two ways. It can either be translated as magi or wise men. Now I've heard it both ways in my life. You probably have too. The magi were the wise men. Now as we all know in the Bible, there were three, right? The tradition tells us that there were possibly three, probably more is what we were looking at. But these wise men, they were most often students that studied the stars. The magi, that's where they got their name from. They, it was a, actually a shorter word for magicians. They studied the supernatural. They studied mainly astronomy and all the things of space and the stars. And this would make sense because what did they follow whenever they were looking for the child? So do you think it's coincidence that there was a star there for people who studied stars? God meant for this group of people right here, God meant for these people just like he meant for the shepherds to get the message that his son was in the house. He wanted these two groups of people to know. All right, We know that they were probably from the east, probably Gentiles because the Bible tells us wise men came from the east. Now, we know that they brought gifts and that, the, that they brought gifts that only the rich could afford to bring. So we know that they had to be very wealthy, right? We know that, um, that there are several prophecies of the Old Testament that were very likely about these people. Let's look at just a couple of them. Psalm chapter 72. A couple of prophecies about these wise men. This is the reason, these are some of the places where we get that they were kings. This is why the... Tradition tells us they were kings. Psalm 72, verses 10 through 15. And these were all cities, or, or uh, primarily all cities from the east, so this would make sense. The kings of Tarshish and of the Isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and the needy. He will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence and precious shall be their blood in his sight and he shall live and the gold of Sheba will be given to him. 
prayer also will be made for him continually and daily he shall be praised. So there was one uh, prophecy that they believed. This tells us a little bit about who these wise men were. They were kings from the east and kings were rich, right? We move on, Isaiah chapter 60. Look at another prophecy that we get about these guys. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6. It says, The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come, and they shall bring what? And? And they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. So they believed that, that these were prophecies in the Old Testament that these kings would come from the east. Now there were more than three if you go back and read that. There were kings from Sheba, from Seba, from Tarshish. From, there, there, were, there were several kings that came. But then he said all kings are going to bow down before this man. All kings are going to bow down before this child. And so we see here that these kings were very rich. They were very well respected. They were astrologers. They were people that were of, of, of much importance during this time, right? So do you see any similarities there between the two? That's how they're different. The difference here does not tell us why God chose these two groups, groups of people. The only thing we can look at is we can look at what they had in common. We've got to find some similarities in these two groups of people if we want to find out what these guys possessed that as far as we know, nobody else did. As far as we know, not even his own children possessed this thing. So the question was this. What does the way that they had different tell us about the heart of God? Number one, I see one thing. In the shepherds, I see this. No one is too dirty. No one is too sinful. No one is too far in the hole that God doesn't want to be in a relationship with you. You can't get yourself in a place that God does not want you to get out of. The number one reason I believe, or not the number one reason, but one of the reasons I believe that God went to the shepherds first more than anybody else was because he wanted to make a point. As far as he was concerned, they were some of the lowest, lowest on the ranking pole. And he went to them before the great Pharisees and the high priests because he wanted to make a point, and that's this. You cannot be too dirty for me to come to you first. I don't judge you based on your appearance or how many baths you've took this week. I don't judge you based on what you're able to wear to church or what you ain't able to wear to church. I don't judge you on any uh, amount of riches that you possess or do not possess. He said, I want to have a relationship no matter where you're at. And we see the same thing whenever we look at these kings or these wise men. It wasn't because they were poor. It wasn't because they were rich. I believe God went on the total opposite ends of the spectrum. He went to the lowest and then he went to the highest. And then he made a decision that he would make his message known that it is going to be to all people, not just the ones that, that were rich and had money or not just the ones that were needy and had nothing. 
His message would be for all people. So then I ask the next question. What did they have in common? And here's what I come up with. Spiritually, they were both dirty. Spiritually, they were both sinful. Spiritually, they were both thieves. Spiritually, they were both everything that God despised. I want to take a look at something. Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah 64 verses 6 and 7. Because you would look at people like this wise man and you might would ask the question, there's no way that these men could have been dirty and sinful and outcast, right? Well, let's just look. Isaiah 64 verse 6, this is what it reads. But we are, what's that next word? All like an unclean thing. Here's what we have in common. Here's what you and President Obama have in common. Here's what you and the Pope have in common. Here's what you and the pastor have in common. Here's what you and the piano player, the guitar players, the Sunday school teachers, here's what you and everybody has in common. We are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are what? Like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away and there is no one who calls on your name who stirs himself up to take hold of you for you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. That's one thing that we all have in common and that is the one thing that the shepherds and the wise men had in common but that is still not necessarily why God chose these two group of people. I want to take another look at Ezekiel chapter 16. I'm going to cover a few passages today. Ezekiel chapter 16 and I want to take a look at just how God views each and every one of us. Now this is going to get kind of nasty, all right? Don't get mad at me, this is in the Bible. This is in the Bible. So if you've got a weak stomach, just hang in there. All right? Ezekiel chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Let's see just how unclean we look to God. Just what we look like whenever he sees us. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. And say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. Here's basically what he's saying. Your parents were my enemies. Your parents were people that I commanded them to be utterly destroyed. I had no use for them. That's your birth. That's your nativity. God, you were an utter enemy to God. He goes on, he says, As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, I pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you, but here's what you were. But you were thrown out into an open field when you yourself were loathed on the day that you were born. And in verse 6, And when I passed by you 
and saw you struggling in your own blood. I'm going to stop there for just a second. Picture this. A baby has just been born. No cleaning has been done. No navel cord has been cut. Nothing has been done to you. This baby has just been born and somebody took it and threw it as far as they could throw it out into an open field to lay there. Can it help itself? It can't do anything for itself but lay there in its own blood. It ain't been spanked to try to get anything out of its lungs. Nothing has happened. This is you. You are this baby and you are lying in this field and God passes by and there you are, helpless. You can't do anything to fix yourself and you're struggling in your own blood. And look what God says that he done for you when he passed by. I passed by you and I saw you struggling in your blood and I said to you, in your blood, I looked at you in your terrible, pitiful state, hopeless state, and I looked at you and I said, live. Live. Yes, I said to you. Notice I love when God repeats himself. God, God even amazes himself sometimes. You know it? God looked. He said, I looked at this pitiful situation and I said, live. Yeah, that's what I said. I said, live. And then keep going with me. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, he said, I made you thrive like a plant in the field and you grew and you matured and you became very beautiful and your breasts were formed and your hair grew but you were naked and bare. Basically, he's talking about your first salvation. The day you were saved, you weren't perfect, were you? You were naked and bare. Oh, but he saved you from struggling in your own blood. He saved you from your pitiful, hopeless state and that's what every single one of us have in common and as bad as I want to keep going with this, I can't. All right. Being rich or poor, Clean clothes or dirty, kings or shepherds, smart or dumb, trustworthy or not, does not determine who God reveals his grace to. So what else did these two groups have in common? Well, let's look at how they responded to the message that they received. Luke chapter 2 again, verses 15 through 20. <clears throat> I want to see how these shepherds responded to this message. Now remember, the message they got was this. There is born to you this day. The message they got, there is born to who? The angel says, shepherds, no one else will have anything to do with you. As far as everyone else is concerned, you're an outcast, you're filthy, you're nasty, your navel cord ain't been cut, you ain't been cleaned up, you're lying there helpless. But there is born this day to you and he says here, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's what has just been told to them. They have just like Solomon, just like God told Solomon, I am going to come and I'm going to dwell in the temple that you build for me. And Solomon said, what? The heavens of heavens can't contain you. And the shepherds have just been told, I am going to come and I have just been born this day in the city of David and I'm in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothings. And the shepherds probably went, what? You're, you're in a manger? You're wrapped in swaddling clothes? You're what? And how did they respond to this message? Start with me in verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go 
Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. In other words, I have to see this thing with my own eyes because this can't be possible. It's not possible that God is dwelling with men in a baby. Let us go now. Now I want you to think about something. They didn't have a fence up for their sheep, right? They can't take their sheep with them to the stable. They have to get up and they have to leave their livelihood, their home, everything that they know, and they go running into town. And it says here in verse 6, And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. So here's how they responded to the message. And here's how we find out what they had in common. Why would someone get excited to hear that Christ has been born? Why should that excite them? Why should that make them leave everything that they know and go and find this thing that's took place? Why did they respond like this? Anybody? Thank you, Carson Cox. Because they understood their wretched place. These shepherds were not Pharisees sitting up in their robes in the temple talking about how good they are because of the tithes that they give and the good things that they do. They sit out in their fields going, if God don't intervene, there's no hope for me. And all of a sudden, an angel appears and says, God's here. And they said, we got to go. We got to find this thing. And what I see here is that these angels had hum- uh, these these shepherds had humility. They were humble in their heart, and they had another thing. They had a desire to seek after the righteousness of God. They knew that the only way that they were going to be right with God was by this child, by him dying on the cross, the sacrifice that he gave. Now look at the wise men. Look with me if you would at Matthew chapter two. And I'm coming to a close. Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 10 through 11. Let's see how the wise men responded to the message they got. The message they got was from a star, right? But they knew what it meant. The message was that star just said, Christ has been born. Look how they responded. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with what? Why else would this excite them to this point? If you were to go back and study the few verses before this, they had just came to the temple and asked the king of the Jews, King Herod at that time, they had just asked the Pharisees and the high priests in the temple, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And they looked at him and said, what are you talking about? And then whenever they told him, we've seen his star, he's been born. And even after the king of the Jews inquired of the high priest and he said, where is the prophecy that this king is to be born? He said, in Bethlehem. But how did King Herod and these Pharisees respond? Did they rejoice with exceedingly great joy? Did they run with haste to go find this thing that it took place? Here's the difference The reason the message came to the shepherds and the wise men was because they had a humble heart 
to understand that they were sinners in need of the grace of God. And when somebody said, Jesus is here, they said, and they just rejoiced with everything that was in them. You know, that's what's wrong with most of us today. We really don't understand our sin condition. We really don't understand just what kind of account we're going to give on judgment day. Because if we were humble enough in our heart to recognize how sinful we are, when somebody said Jesus died on the cross, you know what you would do? You would go to shouting and, and crying and thanking God for the sacrifice that he gave because that is the reason why you don't have to face his wrath on judgment day. These wise men and these shepherds, they were humble enough to understand their sinful condition. And they had it in their heart to seek after the righteousness of God. And that drove them to go after. It's like a man who gets saved and then the church doors can't open enough for him. It's like a man that gets saved and Sunday school and Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night is not enough, Nick. I need another night in the week to where you can teach me more. It's like a missionary that goes into a foreign field and when the people get saved, he's only got two weeks with them and they want to spend at least 12 hours a day studying the Bible. Teach us everything that you know. I want to seek after him with everything that I have. And that's the kind of heart that these people had. They, so, they were so humble, even though they were kings. They were so humble and they so understood their sinful condition that when they got to the manger, you know what they did? Look at verse 11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and look what they did. They fell down and they worshiped. They just... They just got down. When was the last time we've been on our knees? Oh, I'm going to tell you what. It's tough for us, ain't it? Even in church, even to go to the altar, to get on your knees. In your mind, you're trying your best to hold that pew and just hang on. You know you want to go pray, and you know you want to humble yourself before him, but it's just too tough, Nick. These guys didn't even think twice about it. They walked in the house and they saw this child and they so understood their need for him that they just hit their knees. They were kings. Let me tell you something. Kings bow to no one. But these kings saw the true king. And they hit their knees and they bowed in front of him and they didn't think twice about what their servants were thinking, about what anybody was with them was thinking. They gave their best gifts they had to him. They fell down, they worshipped him and when they had opened their treasures, they presented these gifts to him, gold, frankincense and myrrh. So to answer the question, why did God choose these two groups of people to tell the good news first? I answer it from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 7, and this is very important for us to hear this morning because this is so hard for us. Let me tell you something. We're prideful people. I'll, just, I'll be straight up with you this morning. I fight pride. I fight it. I do it. I fight jealousy. I fight it. I fight wanting to have my way and things the way that they're supposed to be. I fight those things. And this is very important that, that I make sure that I understand this because look what he says in 1 Peter 5, verse 5 through 7. 
Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with what? Humility. He said, clothe yourself with humility. Clothe yourself with understanding that your life is nothing more than a vapor. I, you may have been the greatest, you may have been the CEO of 20 companies. You may have been the founder and maker of Apple or iPod and the founder and maker of, of, uh, of Gateway and Dell and, 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 and IBM and whatever else. But let me tell you something, your life is here today and it's gone tomorrow. Ask Steve Jobs, he'll tell you. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And he said, clothe yourself with humility and here's why. For God, what? God resists the proud. But look what he does for the humble. He gives grace. You know why the message of Jesus came to shepherds and wise men? Humility. You know what Jesus said one time? Don't throw your pearls before the swine. You know what he means there? Don't cast what's precious under the feet of people who's just going to tread it under, your, under their foot. God did not give the message of salvation to Herod and the Pharisees because they were too concerned about where they were in their life, about their righteous state, about their obeying the law. They sit in their temple saying, as long as I do good, I'm fine with God. God is my father. But he was so far from their father and he said, my message is going to come to Gentiles because they're humble in heart and I give grace to the humble, but I resist the proud. They were humble in heart and they were seeking after righteousness. A couple more scriptures I'd like to look at. Pride is the root of all sin. God created us to be completely dependent on him and any time we choose to depend on ourselves other than God, it's pride. Adam and Eve, when they decided that they could choose what was good and evil for themselves and they didn't need God to tell them anymore, you know what that was? Pride. And how many of us still do that today? We know this is not something God would have us do, but how many of you do it anyway? God, I don't need you to tell me what's good and evil. I can figure this stuff out just on my own. Ain't that what we do? Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. <clears throat> the world system operates on lust and pride, and these are not of God. This is why God resists the proud. This is why humility is so important in our lives if we want to receive the grace of God. Listen to what he says. For all that is in the world, and here's what's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the what? pride of life but look at the next part is not of the father but is of the world now look at uh, Matthew chapter 18 verse 3 and 4 because the exact opposite of pride is what humility humility if pride is the root or the foundation of all sin humility is the foundation of everything that is good Matthew chapter 18, verses 3 and 4. Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever what? 
is the what? Is the greatest. In other words, humility is the foundation of everything that is good. If you can establish humility in your life, there's not a whole lot wrong you can do, just to be real with you. One more scripture, and I'm done. Matthew 23, verse 12. These are the words of Christ. And whoever exalts himself will be what? He actually will be humbled if he exalts himself. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever humbles himself, God will exalt. So to answer the question, out of all the people that God's message could have came to, that salvation is here. It came to shepherds and it came to wise men. The angel, why in the world did it not come to Herod and the Pharisees and say, the king is in the house? Pride is the answer. You want the grace of God to come to your life? Humble yourself. Be in a position that you don't mind bowing down before him and recognizing your sinful state. You don't mind recognizing that we are all unclean. Our good deeds are like filthy rags in ourselves. Recognize that your life is nothing more than a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow and I greatly need him. And when the message of Christmas comes to you, you'll wake up and exceedingly rejoice with great joy because salvation has come to your house. I don't care how dirty you are. I don't care how low you've gotten. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far down you are. Just like God came to the shepherds, he's coming to you to say the same thing. My salvation is here for you if you'll recognize where you're at. And if you will seek after me with all your heart, I want you to notice something. After the shepherds found Jesus, the Bible says they returned. In other words, you ever been saved and then you had to go right back into the, what you walked out of? That's what happened. The shepherds came, they found Jesus, and then they had to go back to the fields. But there was something different about them when they went back to the fields. When they went back to the field, the Bible said they rejoiced, glorifying God for what they had seen. Glorifying God for what he had done. And that's what can be different about you too. I'm not telling you that you come up and that you find Jesus, that you're going to turn around and you're not going to have to go back to the fields. Yeah, you will. But let me tell you, it's going to be different. Because this time when you go back to the fields, you're going to go back rejoicing with exceedingly great, great joy. I'm not telling you, Chad, you won't have to go back to AT&T. You've you got to go back to AT&T, my friend. But you're going to be different. You're going back rejoicing. I ain't telling you you ain't going back to Sargumi, Pinky. I'm sorry, buddy. You're going back to Sargumi. But you're going back with exceedingly great joy. Where are you at this morning? Are you humble in your heart so that God can extend his grace to you?
Or are you resisting with pride because you just can't find to get down on your knees, because you just can't find to humble yourself before him, because you just don't recognize your sin condition? Where do you stand with God? Shirley, come on. And Christians, let me ask you this. Are you so excited about the news of Jesus Christ that when you go back, you're telling everybody that you see all the things that you've heard, all the things that you've been taught? Or do you not fully recognize just what has taken place in your life since you've come to know the Lord? If that's the case, and I hope your eyes are open this morning, and that God gives you the joy and the zeal in you to do everything you can to make him known to anybody that you can speak to. I ask you to examine yourself this morning. Humble yourself before God. Let him raise you up. He gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. What do you need this morning? Come on as we stand and sing.